CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hollywood Welcome on in. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Doesn't take long to figure out that uh, I really do like radio. I mean, what podcast has jingles, for God's sakes? But radio, especially in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, used to be fun. The disc jockeys on there all had personalities, and it was a party. And that's what we're going to talk about this week, because my guest is John Records Landecker. Now, if you're from the Midwest... You probably know that name because John Landecker was the nighttime jock on WLS in Chicago, and it served 38 states at night, 38 states. So a lot of people grew up listening to John Records Landecker, and if you've never heard him, well, this is what he sounded like. messages today and find out who uh, called and then that'll uh, give me a clue as to what we're giving away. Hold on a second. Here's a message. Uh, oh, yes. Sticks called again. And they said, please give away my albums. So give those away. Oh, here's another message. How many times have I told him, Rod Stewart, don't call me at work. But we have, we have his tickets to give away tonight. <laughs> when you hear the touchstone, it's great being in show business. It's the real thing, Coke, specially priced this week at Mini Sinus Foods. WLS. 6.47 at WLS Music Radio. The Boogie Checks Corner signifies a chance to get on the Boogie Check. And John Landecker News and Commentary. free trips to Walt Disney World in Florida to give away. Say you listen to WLS and you might win important savings during store-wide sale on now at all John M. Smith stores open Sunday. John Records, Landrecker, yeah. WLS. 7-12 at WLS, Chicago weather, cloudy and not so cold tonight, cloudy and warmer tomorrow with a chance of snow, overnight low, 13 out of about 25, all right. So pretty. 
John is still on the air in Chicago. He now does nights on WGN, which is a talk station. So let's go back and talk radio and have some fun as we meet John Records Landecker this week on Hollywood and Levine. So first of all, John, you have the absolute perfect disc jockey name. So let's just get this out of the way right now. John Records Landecker and Records truly is your middle name. Uh, This is a fact. Uh, My mother's maiden name was Marjorie Victoria Records. My grandfather was William J. Records. And there's a few records living around... Franklin, Indiana, which is maybe, I don't know, 25 miles, 30 miles south of Indianapolis, Indiana. And when I was born, they gave me my mother's maiden name as my middle name. So I have been John Records Landecker ever since I came into the world and took my first breath. You're lucky it wasn't, you know, Cassette was her last name. (laughs) Or Dat, or Download, you know, I've heard them all. John Download Landecker. (laughs) <laughs> Jingle so, singers uh, are going to have a good time with that one, yeah. So I was born with that name. Uh, I'm growing up in the 50s. Where'd you grow up? Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. My father was a blind sociology professor at the University of Michigan. So he would bring home uh, once in a while a very early recording device called a dictaphone. And uh, he let me play with it one night and... I spoke into the recorder, and it played back, and I heard my voice, and I think that had an effect on me. Then rock and roll came in. You know, Um, back in those days, if you were a creative person, radio was a viable option for you. Absolutely. I listened to a show called, it was a kid's show called Big John and Sparky, which I found a recording of recently, and it's horrible. (laughs) <laughs> by the way um i'm surprised <laughs> big john and sparky and it, and it didn't click okay no i mean it did then but not now and um sparky so then, held up but not big john so i just got this thing going uh with radio and uh i get into high school and my girlfriend's aunt is the woman's editor at a local radio station in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was going to a high school that was run by the University of Michigan Education Department, which meant that they were open to different ideas about doing things. And so I went to a teacher for social studies and said, look, I don't want to write a paper. What if I did a tape? What if I recorded something? And he goes, okay. So I forget what I did, but... My girlfriend, aunt, got me an interview, quote-unquote, with the program director and afternoon personality of this little radio station on a dirt road across from a farm in an Ann Arbor suburb of Saline. And I took my little tape out there, and I'm all ready to go. And uh, this guy, I have no idea what's happening, uh, goes into the other room, and he comes back with a bunch of papers, and he says, take these in there, and when that on air light goes on, read them. And it was the news. It was like United Press International or Associated Press wire copy. 
Were you in a production a, studio or were you actually on the air? No, it was, no, it was, in the, it was on the air. It was live. Uh-huh. Um, and he made a big deal out of a local kid coming out, blah, blah, blah. And then that was that. And I just started going out there to hang out after school. And uh, eventually they hired me as a janitor for $1.15 an hour. And for, I just hung or out 50 cents an hour if you were on the air. Uh, you're right. <laughs> that and, tells uh, you what, I, what you need to know about radio. Yeah. When you got out of high school, did mm-hmm. you want to be a disc jockey? Did you know at that point that this was your career path? I think so. Um, I don't know if I necessarily labeled it as disc jockey. I ended up majoring in communication arts at Michigan State. Wait, you didn't even go to Michigan? You went to Michigan State? First of all, I probably couldn't get into Michigan. Okay. Uh, second of all... Um, Better basketball teams at Michigan State yeah, with Magic? Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I was very, you know, I no. Um, they had Actually, they had a much better communication arts department at that okay. time. Michigan had a speech department, but Michigan State had radio studios, radio professors, television production, the whole nine yards. Right. Uh, so I eventually ended up there. And then things start sort of happening on their own. I started working at the Michigan State Student Station, which was in the basement of the Student Services Building, which broadcast throughout the campus on wires, okay? Not over the air, but on wires. Yeah, I went to UCLA, and we were carrier current. We had these like, little transmitters right. in each of the dorms. And if you were three feet away from the dorm, you couldn't hear us anymore. That's exactly the term that I couldn't remember, carrier current. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then one day I decided I would go to this local radio station, WILS, and apply for a job. And they gave me a part-time job playing religious tapes on Sunday morning. And then I got to play music for like an hour. And they thought, hmm, this kid's pretty good. So I eventually got a show from... 10 at night until one in the morning, five days a week. And I didn't know what, but there were these two radio geeks named Jim Donahue and Dave Albury, who I eventually met. And they were making recordings of these shows. I had no idea. And they were friends with a guy named Mike Rivers, who was the afternoon personality at a big station out of Detroit called CKLW. Yeah, huge station. Yeah, and he left CKLW and went to a radio station in Philadelphia called WIBG with a programmer named Paul Drew. And they had an opening, and unbeknownst to me, Mike Rivers played this tape for Paul Drew, and I got a call saying, hey, guess what? Heads up, Paul Drew's calling you tomorrow, and they're going to fly you in for an interview. And so I flew to Philadelphia, and they offered me a job, and I was a senior, and my parents were away on a sabbatical in uh, Germany, and the idea that I would drop out of college to do anything was a pretty big move, but I talked to my professors, I talked to my, I was married at the time, I talked to my in-laws, 
my stepfather had gone to, uh, my father-in-law rather had gone to MIT and Harvard and my mother-in-law went to Vassar. So they weren't stupid. And right. um, Yeah, but you're going every, to Wibbage, man. You're going well, to Wibbage. Everybody said, this is exactly what you want to do in about three months when you would obviously graduate. And so I dropped out and I went to WIBG and then the proverbial crap hit the fan when they told me my name was going to be Scott Walker. And this format was, well, you know what the Drake Boss radio format is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, this guy, Paul Drew, was a disciple of Bill Drake. So we did the Drake format. which right. Very allows, little talking. Which allows basically for nothing. Right. And I, and I was Scott Walker, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I, it was horrible, and I had dropped out of college, and I had kids, and I'm like, what did I do? And I was so bad, they put me on the overnight show, uh, midnight to six. And then I guess I got better, and they put me on noon to three, and then they sold the station. The station was sold by Store Broadcasting and purchased by Buckley Broadcasting. And they brought in a whole different attitude and a personality named Joey Reynolds, who had been at WKBW in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and formats were not a thing. <laughs> so um, uh, I was called over to Paul Drew's house towards the end of all this. And he says, uh, Scott, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to go back on the air as John Records Landecker. That was what I was doing in Lance. And he goes, you know what? You're never going to be a success using that name. Go to a medium marketing and get it out of your system. So I didn't do that. And the people who came in thought, sure, go ahead, be John Records Landegger. And the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff, but I right. went from there to I went from there to WLS. Yeah. From there you went to one of I claim, and I know people say, well, you're about this station and that station, but WLS Chicago, WABC New York, and KHJ Los Angeles back in the late 60s, early 70s. That was the pinnacle. Those were the three huge radio stations to to go to. I'm sure in Michigan you listen to WLS because you could get it in 38 states at night. Listen, so tell me I, about that call, that that of all the stations, went, WLS I called went, you. Okay, I'll, let, let me back up. This is another instance of me not knowing what's going on. I had made some rating inroads in Philadelphia at WIBG against WFIL, which had been the dominant top 40 AM radio station. And I didn't know it, but a program director named Jay Cook talked to a program director at WABC in New York named Rick Sklar, who talked to a program director at WLS named Mike McCormick. And they were going to have an opening. And I didn't know it, but Mike McCormick flew into Philadelphia and listened to me, then flew back. Then I got a call. How would you like to apply for a job at WLS? Please send us a tape and resume. Okay. So I sent a tape and resume, and it was coming up to Christmas. And I just included in it that over these dates, I will be in Ann Arbor at such and such a number. And I went to my uh, in-law's house for something and came back and my mom said, uh, while you were gone, you got a call from WLS in Chicago. I said, no kidding. So 
I called back and they flew me in and offered me a job and hired me and immediately told me that I could not use records on the air <laughs> as my as my middle name. Uh, and that went on. Was it recently. too Jewish for that? I don't understand. I, what was I, wrong with records? <laughs> I don't know. He's not a goyim. Right. Um, eventually, uh, there were some rating uh, problems, and Mike McCormick was relieved of his duties. And the moment that happened, John Records Landecker came back on WLS and never left. So <laughs> that was that. What was it like being on a 50,000-watt clear channel station? And clear channel in those days meant that there were no other stations on that frequency. And as a kid growing up in Los Angeles, especially during the winter, I would listen to WLS. I would listen to Dick Biondi and then Art Roberts. And, and I could hear WLS in Los Angeles... What was it like sitting behind that microphone? I mean, you know, you did carrier current where hopefully you got into the third floor of the dorm. And now, oh, my God, 38 states are listening to you. I've had conversations with other people who were there at the time. And Marty Greenberg, who was the general manager, eventually said, you know, we were the New York Yankees, but we didn't know it. And I think that pretty much sums it up. Um how do I say this to most of the guys that were on the air and we were all real tight with one another. The idea that this station had this big coverage area really didn't mean anything that we thought about. I mean, we were rated in the Metro area. We weren't rated because you could pick us up in Louisiana. And that's really about all that I thought about that. It's interesting Uh, because maybe because I, I did listen to it from so far away. Now, look, this podcast is being heard around the world. And you don't even think about it, you know? No. That, that there's somebody in Bhutan who's listening to this right now. But back in those days, the thought that 2,000 miles away from me, some guy is sitting in a little room talking into an inverted tomato soup can, and I can hear him. <laughs> I can I can hear his voice. This was absolute magic to me. And uh, being on a major station like that at night um must have been been pretty amazing. I envied you. I was sitting in San Bernardino at the time. I envied you, you bastard. Well, if I had thought about that, we've talked about this. I've talked about this with other people. If we had thought about that, we'd have been on an ego trip and wouldn't have had any listeners. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's that. This show's so big. You can hear me. Let me tell you something. You can hear what I'm doing right now. You can hear me in Tennessee. I would, you know, the Allman brothers would come to town and a rep would call me up and say, hey, you want to come over to the concert? They listen to you in Georgia. And I go, sure. But I didn't mention that on the air. Uh-huh. I mean, large egos, outsized egos were not allowed. The only uh, prime directive that we had was that the radio station was a tool for our amusement. And that was the actual phrase. And that's what we did. We actually did shows for one another. 
we did shows that we'd show up, you know, to spoof somebody or show up on somebody else's show or just to be ridiculous. And I think that eventually, in the long run, that was the appeal of the station. Was indeed, I, I think wasn't, so too. Wasn't, wasn't trying to be this big megalomaniac, 50,000 watt clear channel out of Chicago. It was a bunch of ne'er-do-well rascals in their 20s running around pulling each other's pants down. You know, it was like that. And that's what kind of made it fun. And that's, to me, what radio really lacks these days yeah. is oh, yeah. just that that sense of, yeah, camaraderie and listeners calling you all the time. And speaking of calling you, you had a feature called The Boogie Check, yes, <laughs> which, uh, like the last few minutes of your show, you just, what, opened up the phone lines? You had to be on a tape delay, my God. And you would just take the, these calls at random, right? Just pick them up and not, put them on the air. Uh, well, the reason that that all happened was that programmers repeated songs over and over and over again. And literally every 90 minutes, if it was a top five song. And, you know, I had big ratings. So when you have ratings and you're a little bit of an asshole... <laughs> and, you know, uh, a rebel, so to speak, within certain boundaries, you can get away with a lot of stuff. And there was a slang expression at the time called Les Boogie. And it was on T-shirts uh, and whatever kind of crap you could buy at that time. Mm -hmm. And I had a competitor at the other station, WCFL, who sort of co-opted this as his slogan. He was, I guess, the boogie jock or the boogie whatever. His grandmother's and, name was Boogie, probably. Boogie. Yeah. <laughs> and one night, without any preparation, forethought, or permission, I just decided to answer the phone and go, Boogie check, and see what happens. And since the teen audience at night was humongous, these phone lines were already ringing constantly with people trying to, I guess, make a request. Mm -hmm. And I'd answer it on the air. And eventually, once the first fuck you got out. <laughs> That's what I was going to uh, say. You know, and, and the FCC. That wasn't the that, first night. I mean, I, I would have no. put the over under on two nights before somebody said fuck on the radio. And the FCC's wording was something to the effect of, you really had to try to keep these calls off the air, but there was no way to. So once the word got out in the teen community that you could get through on WLS and say fuck on the air, the place went nuts. And WLS had to come up with a very early tape delay system let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You would, you would take 10 calls a night, bam, 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 bam. How many said fuck? Three or seven of them? Oh, well, on the end, towards the end. None of them because they, they knew that they yeah, were on tape yeah. delay. And then it wasn't like there was a fuck-a-thon going on. It was, <laughs> you know, it was occasional. But word got out, and the ratings went boom. By the way, for those of you who can't see that at home, that was the sound of ratings going up. <laughs> um, 
and it was a gigantic success. And Pam's jingles and Dallas cut jingles, and it got to be this whole thing because nobody did that, especially in top 40 AM radio. No one took live calls on the air, period. I mean, you would record maybe somebody making a dedication or somebody making a request and play it back, but nobody ever did anything live. You were very and, funny with those people, too. Well, that's I mean, it what, was a very entertaining segment because of your answers to their stupid questions. Well, this is the thing. I did not know that I had that kind of ability until I was doing it. And, you know, attention deficit disorder does have its advantages. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it was bang, 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 bang down these phone lines. And you could hear these, those old phone lines made a noise. Right, they, they click sound, yeah. But there was this whole pacing thing going on, and I'd get into it and... If a kid didn't do something right in about three seconds, I'd hang up on him. And, uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, you know, I don't have any other explanation for it than that. I mean, is I that a feature that you took with you to other stations in your career, or was that strictly WLS? I've only taken it to one other radio station, and that's WGN, which is the station you're on now. <laughs> and I do a boogie check. Every night at 8 o'clock. Now, I do it because the name is so familiar to people in the Chicago radio market. And I was asked when I got the job at WGN, so are you going to try to do, are you going to do a boogie check? And I go, why not? So um, it's certainly not what it was before, but it is something. Not too many teenagers calling, though, right? No, no, no. no you're no, getting like these sixty-five-year-olds. How do I apply to Medicare? And yeah, there are a bunch of older people. I don't ask them their age, right? Right. Um, but but they're not but, teenagers anymore. They're not. No, and it's is it okay um, to use Clearasil? Yeah. You know, it's basically, hey, how are you? What's going on? How you doing? Um, what's happening? Hey, John, I want to ask you a question. Sure, go ahead. You know, it is unscripted, live, no agenda, no topic radio. Hollywood and the Vine. Yeah, I know I'm leaning a little hard on the jingles this week, but hey, it's about radio and John Wrecker's Landecker, and we'll have more with John in a moment. But first word about honey. Now, we all shop online, and we've all seen that promo code field taunt us at checkout. Well, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the Internet for promo codes, and it applies the best ones it finds to your cart. How does it work? Very simple. You are shopping at one of your favorite sites. You get to check out, and the Honey button will drop down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, and all of a sudden you see your price go down and down and down and down. Now, I use it. I saved over $19 just last week on art supplies. And by the way, it is free. So if you don't already have honey, you could straight up be missing out on free savings. Again, I repeat. 
It is free, and it installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and, more important, you're supporting this humble podcast. So get Honey for free right now at joinhoney.com slash Levine. That's joinhoney.com slash Levine and start saving money today. When I was doing talk radio at one time in Los Angeles at KMPC, and they had a feature on Sunday afternoon, it was like an old time feature, the like one ads on the air. Oh, okay. Where people would call up and they would say, hi, I have a couch that I want to sell. And I'd ask them questions about it and they would tell me things. It was the most fun because these people were just all straight men to me. (laughs) I was able to just goof on, on everybody. And it was like an hour where I, I, it was a just improv. It was great, great fun. That was the most fun I've ever had on the radio was hosting the one ads on the air. Some places I think called that tradio because you would, people would call in and they'd say, and well, I've got this. And then later somebody would call in and go, I want to buy that. I mean, that's what it was when I heard it on a small station in Indiana. Uh, But it basically was the same concept. But the idea that it's spontaneous, that's the way I roll, so to speak. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly I prepare and all of that. And I do interviews, and that's fun to a certain extent. But if you really want to get me going, we go on with absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I had my daughter Amy on for an hour last night. Wow, you were able to get her? (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about Amy in a few minutes. And I didn't have to I didn't have to talk to her people either. Uh Um, And I had no idea and she had no idea what we're going to talk about. And it was great. That's the best way I function is if they put me on the air or anywhere with a group of people that I can interact with and don't have to know what's going on because it'll take care of itself. The worst thing you can do, and I've said this repeatedly to anybody at the station who will listen, is to put me in a room by myself. That's going to be a disaster. I can just tell you, maybe it may not be perceived as a disaster, but up here in my brain, I'm going, this sucks. This is horrible. I hate this. How am I doing this? I shouldn't be here. I can't wait till this is over. Oh, you would have loved, uh, a few years ago, I was filling in doing talk shows on KBC in Los Angeles, and they had me on 7 to midnight Christmas night. Okay. <laughs> no one's calling. No, you can't get anyone as a guest. Not even <laughs> it's like there were, there were like no commercials. It was basically about- me just talking on the radio, uh-huh. being Gene Shepherd for five uh-huh. hours. And uh, when I got off the air, I almost felt like calling the program director at 12 o'clock at night and going, you son of a bitch. I know the feeling. Let's talk a little bit about Amy. Your daughter is Amy Landecker. I'm sure Mm -hmm. people are going, why does the name Landecker sound familiar? Uh, She was in Transparent and Serious Mind, a lot of other things. Yeah. So when she said, I want to be an actress and, and go to L.A., what was your feeling about that? Like, oh, God. Fine. Okay. No, 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 no. 
That was fine. At least you didn't want to be a disc jockey. Well, actually, in the beginning, I think that's when she was younger, she wanted to do traffic on my program. <laughs> I, I think that's what she says. But eventually, she majored in theater at uh, the University of Wisconsin, uh, came back and uh, worked at Starbucks and did sort of underground Chicago theater, which were like in the basement of restaurants with furniture from Goodwill and sheets on a string as a curtain and that kind of thing. But then she developed a voiceover career that actually was pretty good and uh, made some money. And she also came up the ranks in the Chicago acting scene and eventually did um, the Tennessee Williams play with Blanche. What the heck is that thing called? Oh, Streetcar Named Desire. Right. Uh, opposite Gary Sinise at uh, Steppenwolf. And that was a big deal. And then uh, the director, Robert Falls, who was at the Goodman, she did some plays at the Goodman Theater too, which is a big deal theater in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago's a good theater town too, really is. And he took a play to New York and brought her as part of the cast. And then after that, Amy decided she was going to move to New York. She did a whole bunch of different law and orders because every actor has to do some kind of law and order before they're allowed Absolutely. to Absolutely. Absolutely. And they do all of those in New, in New York, or at least they did. Or yeah, no, they still do. They still do. Yeah. And so, I was on law and order parking violations. <laughs> That's on my resume. Very proud of it. I could just hear the announcer. There's a special unit of meter maids. That's right. It's Thursday from 10 till noon. West side parking. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was on there. Yeah. I played a a street punk. (laughs) So, um, she did that and that was nice. And then she decided she's going to move to LA so she moves to L.A. and she's still doing her voiceover. Uh, the theater scene there is not that great. And she's not getting much play. And uh, she's about to move back to New York when she gets a callback from a Coen Brothers film called um, A Simple Man. And people don't realize that there can be a long time waiting to find out if you've got a job. I mean, literally months in some mm-hmm. cases. And that's the way it was with this. And so Amy got this role eventually in this Coen Brothers movie. And the Coen Brothers have this knack of having characters who have secondary or smaller roles who, even though that is their assignment, make an incredible impression on what it's, what they say and what they do in the movie. Yeah, well, she did, certainly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And she played the sexy neighbor, and um, that was a big deal. And then... <laughs> Boy, well, you're leaving out a part. <laughs> what? You're leaving, what out, you're leaving out the part that's, that she was sunbathing oh. nude. Oh, nude. Well, yeah. No, I... 
That's a sexy neighbor. Yeah, that's true. But just like okay. you know, that's 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 you know, part of that, it. That sounds way more sensational than it actually was. It was first of all, it was an extremely long shot. This guy, the main character, is on top of his house fiddling around with his TV antenna so his kids can watch F Troop, and he looks over and way over there. I mean, way over there. Making her film debut, there, introducing there Amy Landecker. Listen, I'd seen her do nude stuff on the stage in Chicago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come to the territory. I wouldn't do some... it on Law & Order parking violations. Well, no, I would. I, I they wanted me to do a nude scene, and I, I said no. Even as part of the parking meter plot? No, I, no, oh, I, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Come on, we want you to stand next to that parking meter <laughs> naked. Um, so she started getting work, you know, guest stars on various shows, and it was pretty steady. And she did a couple of other movies. And then this uh, series that ran on Amazon Prime called Transparent occurred. And she got a major role in that. And that lasted, I think, three seasons and probably would have lasted longer, except Jeffrey Tambor uh, was eventually accused of inappropriate behavior by some members of the cast. And that was sort of the end of that. And she met Bradley Whitford, who was doing one of the episodes. And uh, they started dating and then they got married. So about two years ago, Bradley Whitford became my Son-in-law. <laughs> well, maybe you can like, get him on your show, too. No. Oh, not, yeah, no, not yet. No. Uh, he's been on, but it's not, you know, Amy's like, call me anytime, Dad. Brad is, he, uh, see my people. He, no. <laughs> no, Brad, actually, Brad's a great guy. I got a chance well, to really meet him no. earlier in the 90s when right. I had a show that starred his former wife. <laughs> Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, had, I had a show that, that starred Jane Kaczmarek yes. and yeah. Brad Jane was K- around. Yeah. Uh-huh. What a small town. Yeah. And she's been working. She did uh, Your Honor for uh, Showtime last two years ago, which was a big success. They're going to do, do it again. She's done some animation work, The Crudes, whatever that is. You know, there's a lot of things that she's done, uh, and she never tells me, you know. So, so do people like come the, up to you now and go, oh, so you're Amy Landecker's daughter? Or do people go up to her who have okay. listened to you no, and go, oh, are you related to John Records Landecker? They don't ask me if I'm Amy Landecker's daughter, no. Oh, no, I but mean, no. Uh, father, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't last on, on that show. It does happen now. Well, in in California, I'm I don't even have a name. In California, I'm Amy's dad. Okay, that's it. Is her middle name Records? Or her her middle name is Acting. <laughs> right, that's, that's her official middle name because your your parents' side middle- from Turkey, their their last name was Acting. Amy acting Landecker. You know, you asked me if I, what I thought about her being an actor. Look, I'm a disc jockey. Her mother is a yoga instructor. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're going to have a problem with her being an actor? I don't think so. No. I don't know. It could be like the jazz singer or something. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I want you to be an accountant. Don't be like me. Be an accountant. What are you doing? <laughs> You'll never be a success as an Acting. actor. Get an accounting degree. Go, into, go into radio. There's still so an opening at Wibbage. So you've got something to fall back on. Exactly. <laughs> radio. Radio is just coming into vogue <laughs> here in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, my God. Well, that's not the truth. Um, well, it was a wild ride for all of us, and we were very fortunate to be involved in radio at a time when it really, really was fun. And yeah. uh, lots and lots of people, you know, yeah, you were on in Chicago, but there are people listening to this who listened to you and were fans of you from 38 different states. It was it was a, a, a wild time, and uh, you did a great job. You really did. Thank you. you know, I have to tell you, and this is the honest to God's truth, I'm always surprised literally, when someone says, hey, I used to listen to you. I go, really? I mean, it, uh, well, you never met anybody, really, when you were on the radio. Right. You know, all they said was, you know, here's your ratings. But it wasn't like you felt all these people. And it it happens at the most normal places, like at a grocery store or, hey, wait a minute. Are you? Where they recognize your voice? Are you, know the name uh-huh uh, if it's john landecker they will go wait a, some people will go wait a minute john records landecker yeah <gasps> it continues to surprise me you go to philadelphia and people go wait a minute are you scott walker <laughs> oh yeah i've got a lot of that <laughs> john this has been great thank you so much all Thanks right. for asking me. Uh, my, Thank we would do a boogie check here, but it's recorded. So That's no right. one can call. Right. And you don't have any phone lines anyway. No so phone lines the anywhere. Right. Nah. They, have right. to, they have to email me. This will take forever for you to go through all the emails. <laughs> I'm going to call the law and order people. I think the idea of the meter made deal, uh, the, whatever it is, I think that Scott. Law and order parking violations. Yeah. Violations. Yes. Yes. I'm going to pitch that. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye. John Records Landacker this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Want to see some of my cartoons? Well, then follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. I'm also on Twitter, who isn't, at Ken Levine. Next week, for you writers, it's a show that you're going to want to check out. It is the Hollywood fantasy come true. A guy sits down and writes a spec script, sells it, and it becomes a series with a bunch of Hollywood stars acting in it. (laughs) It's a great story, and that is next week, and we will see you right here. Cue up another jingle right here on Hollywood and the Vine.